as business owners, sometimes, you know, you come across opportunities and maybe you don't have the cash really to buy that property or that building that you wanted to buy at that time because, you know, typically at conventional, we require you 20 or 25%, then boom, then you can use SBA. SBA is, I've always liked it because it allows us to, to do a couple things that bankers aren't known for, and that's being creative and flexible. So always try and keep one foot in SBA lending. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, I have traveled probably more miles with one of our guests <laughs> today than I have traveled with anybody else in my life, even my parents. Um, I've got some great stories with uh, with Gonzalo Garzon, who's joining us, but probably one of my favorite ones that I'll tell really fast is we were on a tight budget. We're running this new startup that we started out of, out of college together and we needed to get to Thailand, um, <laughs> specifically Chiang Mai, Thailand. And so we found the cheapest flights possible. We went, booked a, flights on Delta from OKC to Los Angeles through Utah. Then we booked a flight on a China Airlines or something like that from Los Angeles to Shanghai, China. And then we booked a flight from Shanghai, China to um, Bangkok. And then we had a flight from Bangkok to Chiang Mai. I think it was like 48 hours straight of travel. And I just remember being in the airport in Shanghai on a layover. And it was probably one of the grossest places I've ever been. Oh. Uh, they just didn't take care of it. They're smoking cigarettes in the airport like crazy. And there's just like si like sirens going off. And <laughs> Gonzo's trying to sleep on this plastic bench. And I, I just imprinted on my brain. But uh, a lot of fun times. <laughs> I don't think we're talking about any travels later on in this episode. But just a good little story. And you know... Well, you know, it was uh, probably uh, really 72 hours because you crossed the international dateline, right? That's true. We were in another day. So you gained that that 24 hours fun memories we Khalil we did yeah a lot of fun memories uh yeah let's introduce our guests so we got Gonzalo Garzon and then we've got Cash and White both at BOK Financial um operating in 10 different states but I'll let you guys kind of talk about what you do and what your role is inside of BOK Financials <clears throat> so Gonzo why don't you start yeah well first of all thank you guys for having us I've, I've been listening to you guys for um a little while and you know I mean obviously you've we, you and I have a relationship and I've enjoyed kind of uh, meeting you guys more. So I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, yeah, a little bit about myself. I mean, I, um, a little background. I was born and raised in Chile. I came here uh, to the United States through tennis scholarship and, um, and I've um, went through finance and, um, and you know, loved the field. And then I got the opportunity to join BOK Financial. It was like early 2016. Um, uh, I was recruited to uh, the credit commercial training program that BOK has here, and I've been um, a commercial banker um, ever since. Um, so I, I primarily focus on in the Oklahoma City market area. Um, I also do SBA lending, and I know that's a conversation we're having today. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's what I do. I, I I enjoy working with entrepreneurs, business owners, and learning from them and it's helping them grow. Um, I'm, I'm primarily the main point of contact uh, 
for business owners to have the relationship at BOK. So, uh, yeah. Is that point of contact for the whole 10, 10 state area or is that you talking just Oklahoma? So we have several uh, bankers in each uh, location, states. So um, I primarily focus in Oklahoma City. Um, and at any business that's located in Oklahoma City, uh, I'll, we have all the bankers here in Oklahoma as well. But um, primarily if they're located in our f- footprint, we have bankers in each location. Okay. Yeah. Little fun fact about Gonzo: His father is a construct uh, contractor, owns a construction company in Chile, yep. uh, and has developed some pretty significant buildings there. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cashin, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you. And Gonzo, why don't you introduce Cashin because you asked to bring him on? Yeah. Well, I've, 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 when you asked me about doing this, I've, I felt like, um, you know, Cashin will be a great uh, person to uh, have in this podcast because. Um, you know, he has done SBA lending for 20 plus years. Uh, he, he, you know, leads our department here at BOK Financial. Um, and I, I'm just, you know, excited to work alongside with Cashin. And, and I think he has a lot of insights in the SBA uh, world. But uh, Cashin White is our um, director um, of innovation and, and growth for uh, BOK. And uh, one of his um, roles um, uh with that responsibility is leading our SBA department. So uh, I'm excited to have Cashin. And Cashin, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about yourself, I'll be great. Yeah, thanks, Gonzo. Yep, 20-year veteran in banking, stints in middle market, commercial, small business. But every bank I go to, um, they seem to have a, a hole in their business model that needs SBA lending and they keep asking me, Hey, we hear, you know, a little bit about SBA. Do you mind doing this? You mind doing that? So now, uh, I'm on my fourth SBA shop that I've helped build up. Um, but yeah, I get the pleasure of working with great bankers like Gonzo. You know, we've got about in our commercial bank, 75 plus commercial bankers across uh, our footprint, you know, Colorado, Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, um, Kansas city, Oklahoma, obviously. So uh, it's a really strong team. And then also, you know, supporting our corporate middle market bankers uh, on some of their um, sales enablement initiatives. So it's a fun role, but SBA is, I've always liked it because it allows us to, to do a couple things that bankers aren't known for, and that's being creative and flexible. So always try and keep one foot in SBA lending. I really like that. And over a 20 year career, I'm sure the SBA has changed quite a bit and it continues to change today. Obviously we had tons of changes during the pandemic and now you told me right before we got on here that there's some big changes going in to effect in 11 days at the beginning of August. Um, so excited to hear about a little bit of that. I think for a lot of our listeners, many of them don't even know what the SBA is. So why don't we just start with the definition of what the SBA is and why it exists? Yeah, I, I can start there, Khalil. That's, that's a good question. And um, so SBA, really, it's, it's a government agency that you know works alongside the banks that provide a percentage guarantee for banks, right? A lot of people think that um, they work with SBA directly to lend the money. Actually, they work directly with the bank. So in this case, we have a company looking for an SBA loan. They'll work directly with me, and we use the SBA product to to have that guarantee so um, that, that client can get the reasonable terms that they couldn't otherwise be available for them, right? And, and SBA... Um, that's what I allow us to do. Um, and there are different products, but 
simple terms, really, it's 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 a it's a product that uh, commercial bankers and banks can use to mitigate uh, uh, risk and provide more reasonable terms to companies. So does every bank offer the same thing? I mean, I know they're a preferred. Yep. Anyway, so uh, this a this a. I'm glad you brought this 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 point, uh, Martin, because the first questions that I will encourage um, business owners to ask a bank um, if they're looking for an SBA loan is, are you a preferred SBA lender? And what really that means is uh, SBA is giving a designation authority to the bank to make the final credit decisions. So all the underwriting, all the decisions really happen in-house and um, Different banks will have their credit appetite, what they specialize on, but um, there's SBA rules that they have to meet, and then there's a credit appetite that each bank will will be more competitive, that they like. And um, and another question, and Cash, and feel free to jump in here, is, um, is, is the bank more focused on cash flow or is the bank more focused on collateral, right? Cash flow, the, the different appetites and, um, you know, in our space is more of cash flow, right? We look at historical financial data to see if that business or that real estate they're buying can service the debt that they're for the loan, right? Um, but that's pretty much the, the basics of it. Cashin, do you have any comments there? Yeah, I think you did a good job and you point out a, an important distinction. <coughs> Excuse me. But anybody looking to, to talk to their, to their bank or uh, have a friend that's a banker, your first question you're going to want to ask is if they are a preferred lender with the SBA, which, as Gonzo said, that means that bank has the delegated authority to approve and originate loans, and so there's zero interaction with the actual government, which is important. If you're not, imagine going to the DMV to get a business loan. <laughs> it would be a really, really <laughs> horrible uh, experience yep. because you have to ship the file off to the SBA. They have to underwrite it. It just takes forever. So uh, we've seen a lot of new entrants into SBA lending with uh, all the uh, SBA-related pandemic loan programs that came out. Uh, yeah. But it's important that you work with a bank that's not only preferred, but they have in-house expertise, a proven track record, a, a complete operations team. Uh, if it starts to get piecemealed, it really waters down the origination experience. Yeah, very interesting. So. We know what the SBA is now and that we can use it to, to, to get our loan. You mentioned creativity and flexibility earlier. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sure that happens because the loan is guaranteed by the government. But what are some of the flexibilities and creativity that you're able to bring to the, to the business owner that they wouldn't be able to get through a traditional loan? Cashin, you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. I, yeah, to simplify it, I like to say that it, it, it provides terms that otherwise wouldn't be available that typically manifest itself in lower down payments and longer okay. repayment terms. Gotcha. So better cash flow. Yep, it helps improve <laughs> cash flow and it helps the business owner retain cash because they're not having to outlay as much for the down payment. And I think the underlying theory yeah. there when they created the SBA back in the 50s was, you know, you got to remember, like lending to businesses, especially small businesses, is still kind of a new idea for banks. It really wasn't something that they wanted to lend into until about the 90s. And that's where the, you saw the SBA really start to pick up and lean into their business model a little more because they're like, gosh, we really need to dangle a bigger carrot to these banks to lend into what it was historically considered a higher risk uh, demographic. And, and so the 
the 75% guarantee or 50%, depending on the loan program that Gonzo alluded to, was a big push to help us, you know, move into lending to this sector. And so there's, there's a, there's, it's a true win-win-win, right? So the bank gets to extend terms um, and they can rely on the mitigant of that guarantee to help typically plug one or maybe two weaknesses in the credit profile. Um, meanwhile, the borrower gets a win because, again, they're retaining cash or getting uh, better repayment terms. And then actually the, the government and the taxpayer gets a win as well because right now, as it stands, none of the SBA loan programs are subsidized by taxpayers. The borrower pays a fee at origination. We pay a fee embedded into our interest rate into the SBA to keep it unsubsidized from taxpayers. It's actually accretive to the bottom line uh, for the government, which is unheard of these days. And that's why you're seeing it really grow in popularity because, and it enjoys bipartisan support, both Democrats and Republicans look at it as a job recreation uh, program, and that's always gonna get support in Congress. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's many reasons why people would get an SBA loan, and I wanna walk through a lot of those. I know three of the, the biggest ones, or even four of the biggest ones that I can think of are real estate, equipment purchases, uh, working capital, and then acquisitions. So let's look at that first one, real estate, because I think most people are familiar with purchasing real estate, maybe in the form of a home. What does it look like on the SBA side? If we're going to use that to buy a commercial building, a warehouse, a shop, whatever it is, what are the, what's the process like? How can we use it? What are some of the ways that we can use the SBA for real estate? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, SBA is, it's great product. And I want to clarify when you say real estate is owner occupied real estate, right? Meaning 50, gotcha. 51% okay. and more has to be occupied by the operator. Right. And, okay. um, that, that's how it falls under that bucket. So, um, and then on, on the owner occupied real estate, we really, there's two main products. It's the 7A and the 504. Um, and the 7A, it's a one loan. You know, you, you work with the bank to, to have that product. And basically the benefits is that you can get up to uh, 10, 15% down payment requirements, 25 year uh, amortization payment, and then no balloon payment. So going back to your question, Khalil, earlier about flexibility, well, I mean, as, as business owners sometimes, you know, you come across opportunities and maybe you don't have the cash really to buy that property or that building that you wanted to buy at that time because you know typically at conventional we require you 20 or 25 percent then boom then you can use sba because today you only have 10 15 percent to take advantage of that investment as a business owner to buy that property and you can buy an existing building but you also can grown up construction you can you know hey i, I want to find a land i want to buy um, a, a piece of land and build a warehouse office to move my operations, that's a great product. And and the the twenty five year amortization is a is a big deal too because like Martin, like you said, cash flow, you know, that will help them on a cash yeah. flow basis. And then the balloon payment, uh no balloon payment, it's also a big deal because on a conventional side typically you will structure it where um A it's a 10-year term and a 20-year amortization. Well, when they get to that year 10, they're going to have a balloon payment. And, and they have to refinance it, and you have to underwrite it and, um, and, and to, to continue that 10-year that note, right? Oh, well, in SBA, you do it. It's a 25-year note, and then uh, that's a big deal, right? That's a 7A. And then 
the 504, that's the other product that is very popular and very similar and without having going through all the details here right now, and, um, very similar, 10, 10, 15 down payment requirement, and but you have two loans. 50% of the loan will be on the bank and then a 40% loan will be with SBA. So the exposure of the bank will be only 50%. So sometimes, like if a borrower has a special use property or uh, maybe the bank doesn't really want to do the 90% um, loan to value, well, that 504 may be a good fit because they're only taking the risk on 50%, if that makes sense. But so- What, what would they be taking the risk on on the 7A? Well, the 7A will provide the guarantee. More. The 504, it will be a loan just 50% with the bank and 40% with the SBA. So the risk really is only 50% okay, so if they have to liquidate the asset. That, right. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And uh, just in passing, yeah. uh, are this 25 years fixed? I'm smiling. Or uh, how, what are the interest rates generally? I have to give a number right now, but how is it fixed or is it something plus prime, you know, prime plus something or? Yeah, so uh, the, the terms, it will be depending on the bank, but typically it will be, you know, you can go up to 15 year um, um, uh, fixed. They have to be priced on Wall Street Prime plus a spread, right? Uh, cash and correct me if I'm, go ahead. Yeah, or, or, or minus, I mean, it's, minus so yeah, it, yeah, it, the, the pricing on the, let's talk about 7A pricing. Gonzo's right. It, it is quoted as a spread to Wall Street Journal Prime. That is a requirement per SBA, assuming it's not fixed for the entire term. If it's fixed for 10, 15, or 25 years, uh, then it's just a whatever rate the bank quotes you based on their internal cost of funds. Otherwise, if there is a point where the rate will adjust, uh, and you'll see most banks fix their rate on real estate for increments of 5, 7, 10, or 15 years. Now and then you'll see someone do 25-year fix, but it's going to be a much higher rate out the door. Um, so it just depends on kind of where the borrower wants to come in. Obviously, the lower, the shorter the yield curve, the, the lower the rate. Well, that's historically the way it's been. But right now with this inverted yield curve, it's actually better to do a little bit longer fixed. We're seeing the most beneficial pricing today in that seven-year time frame. That seems to uh, result in the lowest um, cost of funds for the lending institution, and that translates to a lower rate for the borrower. But historically, when it's a normalized yield curve, uh, you, could, you could come out with maybe a three-year fixed, you know, at like 5% versus a 25-year fixed at 8%. Uh, so it just depends mm -hmm. on where the, the yield curve's at. Any given point. But you don't renegotiate the note, rewrite it, or amortize it, like make a balloon out of it, go again, you just change the rate when the variable rate period or the uh, fixed rate period is over and it's time fixed to fix rate, it again yes. for the remainder of the term. Yeah, that is that is yes. renegotiated at that time. But to Gonzo's point, it's not a new origination. It's just a, uh, all right, you've had this rate fixed for 10 years. You hit your 10 year anniversary. Let's see where the debt capital markets are today. And we'll refix it for another 10 years at the prevailing spread to prime. Gotcha. That's not a refinance. Okay. Hmm. And now the 504, the 504 is a little different, so the bank can price however they want, um, and that's going to be different from bank to bank. There are no rules, per se, on the bank's pricing, but the SBA, uh, the 40% on the 504 is going to be a 20 or 25-year fixed rate note for the entire time. 
And that's typically going to be well below market as well. So that's why on paper, the 504 can look really attractive from an interest rate perspective for a borrower. Very interesting. Well, I've got two other quick questions. The, uh, if, there, if you're building SBA, this will in, include a construction loan that converts to a fixed loan. I mean, you, you don't have to go get separate financing. They take the whole process all the way yeah, through. Yeah, it will be a, a draw, draw note. Basically, you are allowed to draw as you go until you complete it. Certificate of occupancy is done, and then we'll term it out at that time for that note that was approved. Yeah. Once you. Okay. And then the last one is, uh, what other criteria you're looking at? Uh, I mean, are you doing the whole cash flow? I mean, most of the places I'm thinking of would like to buy the building they're already occupying uh-huh. and paying rent on. And so there's some presumption of ability to pay there if they've been paying their rent. But you do look at credit score, their cash flow, their reserves, and their ability to put 10% down or 15 down. Yeah. So I think if it's a rent replacement, that's a that's an easy decision, right? Because you're really just taking out how much you're paying in rent versus what the loan is going to be. And if there's a difference, then you have to calculate that difference to see what the cash flow will be to pay that, right? But um, but if let's say it's, a, it's an existing business and they already own a real estate, then it's an expansion, right? Then I'm adding the rent for that existing building plus the, the rent that they're going to be paying right. there for that new business. But yeah, primarily, uh, Martin is two, three years of historical cash flow. I've, I've got financials, uh, tax returns, and I spread them the last three years and basically take all the net income plus depreciation plus the rent that's going away and do they have enough cash flow to cover the performa debt of that SBA loan? And if they have plus in a room, every, every bank will have their own debt service coverage ratio, but ideally 1.2 and above, it's a good indication that that's a good, you know, a good owner-occupied real estate loan. I want to uh, ask one other question we'll get on specifically, yeah. but what's the quality of financials when you say, I got to look back three years, uh, you're smiling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, I mean, do you routinely get financials that, holy cow, this looks great. I trust this man. They know how to add numbers and know what coverage is, or is that what you usually see? Or do you have to do some machinations and some explanations? Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you, um, and Cashin, feel free to jump in here. I'm, I'm just going to speak on uh, what I'm in my space, right? I mean, just to give you an idea, my typical clients are anywhere from the 5 million and 40 million, even more, 75 million uh, uh, revenue, right? So when you're on the higher end, um, those are quality, typically more quality. They have a CFO in place. Um, and the quality of the financial reporting is just higher, right? Because the sophistication of the business is more, right? But typically in the SBA space, uh, because in cash and please correct me if I'm wrong, but typically is the, the, the two million in EBITDA and less is typically an SBA space, okay? And 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 that typically they some some companies will have a good financial you know, reporting, they don't necessarily have to have out of their financial statements, but their quality is reviewed by a third party or something like that. But, or if they're a little bit smaller, they have QuickBooks and they have their company prepare financial statements and 
hopefully they're do, they're keeping up that I know this is a topic that you guys talk about with your clients a lot so I, I know that this I want to dive into a little bit deeper but ideally I want them to keep up you know quarterly right if you can do it monthly that's even better but in the small business side I probably say hey if you don't if you don't can keep up with quarterly financial reporting um, it, it's an issue right it's it's already a weakness for you and it's gonna uh, put you in a hardest spot to have access to capital, right? Um, so yeah. I have a lot of times, Martin, where I, I get the three years financials and we are now in August and then I would like to see March, right? Well, hopefully I'd like to see 630 numbers, but some, some companies don't have that quickly access to reports and some, some of them may have to go back and, hey, can the CPA help us here and get those reports because we're applying for a loan? But that's 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 the balance, right? Where hey, how how good are those financials? How quickly they can get to those reports? And then we it, that's where the credit decision start taking place, right? Cashin, am I on the right track there? Yeah, I think you did a good job. Um, as you can tell from Gonzo's answer, it, it it does depend. But you know the relationship we're building with the small business. One of the best ways you can show well to your lending institution is that you've got your stuff together and that's going to manifest in the quality of your financials and the timeliness of it. I will say SBA does require all SBA lenders to first and foremost lend off of tax returns and those tax returns are verified with the IRS to make sure what you're showing us is exactly what was filed with the IRS. But we always reconcile that back to either the internally prepared, the CPA reconciled or the CPA audited financials to make sure everything makes sense. I imagine that uh, when that's all together, that's a significant time savings in the process of uh, uh, getting a loan. Absolutely. Especially when we're going through economic times where things are changing rapidly. Uh, so, right. I mean, if we could look at year-end 22 financials, that's, that's great. And you could have a great year. But, I mean, a lot's happened in the last eight months, uh, six months especially. So we're, we're really focused on making sure 2023 has continued to show what most businesses are showing, which is a strong recovery from the pandemic. But we want to make sure 2022 wasn't just a blip and that you're able to continue those trends into 2023. And that's particularly right. important for contractors who are more susceptible to, you know, large macro swings in the economy. Right, for sure. I mean, what if you had to put a you know rough estimate on the percentage of companies that are coming to you for an SBA loan that don't have the books in order, that don't have everything set up for you, and then how much time does that take you to be able to get that in order for them to get the SBA loan? Cashin, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I would just say that it's um, you got to be careful, right? You don't want to be you know rude, right? We'll just take what we what we ask. Sure. We have a very succinct needs list. And we say, look, once you get me everything I need, then then I'll start digging into it. But until you can satisfy that needs list, I'm going to move on to other borrowers that have everything ready. Mm -hmm. And and so the clock doesn't really start until Gonzo and I feel like we have everything we need to have an internal conversation on moving forward with, uh, um, you know, a credit facility for the borrower. So it's more on yeah. the borrower. Right. And I think if I can add that to Khalil, um, uh, you know, um, and this obviously goes beyond the financial reporting, but uh, I mean, this is not SBA lending. This is just banking in general, but character 
for us and banks in general, it's 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 the it's a big deal, right? So so when borrowers come out and say, hey, look, we had a a, a year last year that, uh, you know, you may see this in their financials. We still have, you know, with looking for answers. So we they kind of explaining that what happened and things like that. Everything that that happened there is explained upfront when they submit that package. Oh, that relationship is so much different, right? Because then it's a lot easier to go back and, um, okay, yeah, no, I understand that the, hey, they, they used to have a full-time controller in the office and they, they lost it because pandemic or something happened. And so they were having a hard time keep up with some of their financials. And, you know, just having that conversation up front with clients, um, um, it's a big deal. And then it makes the whole relationship and process smoother. Uh, uh, um, in that regard, for sure. Hey, my last question uh, regarding real estate, and then unless Khalil has some or you want to add, we'll move on to others. But does getting an SBA loan alter your existing credit facilities with other institutions? I mean, so long as you can meet the cash flow, but you don't like to, you don't want to say, hey, we're taking out your local bank and your operating line. And does it have an effect other than um, on cash flow? You mean like, like if, um, like if they get an SBA loan with an institution, they are limited to going and get a loan with a different institution. And if I already, well, that's one uh, one uh, method, one way of thinking of it. But I'm also thinking I've already got a line of credit and it's drawn down, and I've got an operating loan, uh, fixed, you know, term operating loan. I'm, I'm cash flowing, but do you come in and want to take them out, or you're happy with that as long as the cash flow works? Uh, I th- well, that's that'll be case by case uh, basis, uh, definitely. But um, I, the first thing that comes to mind is like if it's it's a working capital facility, um, and I don't know if that's where you go, Martin. But like typically, banks want to have their operating accounts with the same institution, right? If it's real estate, then um, you know that's not always required. I mean, I think banks like when it's the whole relationship. But when I'm doing analysis, I'm I'm including all their their senior debt to get to my decision on cash flow and then that that will determine if I can do that SBA loan or not as I don't know if I answer your question there or not but no you you did but you're not going to come in and say hey if you want to do business with us you got got to give us those three loans too not automatically not automatically I'm cashing unless you have a different view there but I, that's not a per se requirement yeah, I, I, Gonzo said it well. It's case by case. I mean, ideally, BOK Financial is a relationship bank. We're not transactional. So it's um, when we do look at lending to a new business, a new client to the bank, we will look at providing a full turnkey commercial banking relationship. It could be a la carte out the gate where it's like, hey, I really like your proposal on your cash management and your line of credit features. Uh, but right now, I mean, I got a 60 days to close on this real estate. Can we just focus in on that? And so we we earn the right to win the rest of the business if we can execute effectively on the owner occupied loan. Then we'll come back and talk about operating cash management line of credit. But if the if the borrower out the gate is telling us they're unhappy with their current situation, we can move forward with you know multiple debt facility requests at once. Okay. Martin, I know that one thing you want to talk about was acquisitions because you've got some clients that are, you know, looking to maybe acquire some competitors in their area. 
tell us a little bit about those clients and their situations, and then let's work through what that process would be like for them to use the SBA to get a loan for the acquisition. Most of them were almost theoretical, but uh, we're having conversations. One's manufacturing. I had a text last night, actually, at 5 o'clock. Former clients trying to buy a company. I don't know anything about it, uh, the company. But my questions about doing acquisitions are, uh, one of my main questions is, how do you value the business that's being acquired, right? What down would the owner have to put up in order to do it? Do you take pro forma, uh, do you you accept cash flow estimates based on pro forma looking forward? Hey, when the two of us get together, I'm gonna be able to do this and this, and this is where we go, or does it have to be historic? Uh, Those are, and then how much, I'm throwing a lot into one question, how much down do the buyers, uh, would they have to expect to have as a down payment? And then I've also heard that seller retain uh, seller financed. In other words, a seller agrees to take his money or her money over time. Uh, that can ha- count toward the buyer's down payment. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that. So that was a lot of things. Did you write them down, Gonzo? Because yeah. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take it in in three tranches. So the first one, let's talk about how these are typically valued. So we call this segment of lending where SBA can play a meaningful role in a change of ownership. It's, it's sort of main street lending. This is where private equity does not play. Investment bankers don't play. Uh, it's too big for them. So it's, it's called main street and in main street lending, sort almost industry agnostic, there's a standard way that any business, it could be a car wash, it could be a dentist office, it could be a contractor, are valued. Now, there, there's subtle changes based on the industry, but in part, here's how it's done. They're going to look at the three-year historical seller discretionary earnings. Seller discretionary earnings is defined as the EBITDA of the business plus the W-2 salary of all of the sellers and and any other discretionary expenses that have been run through the business, uh, that creates the seller discretionary earnings. So let's say the, a business has 700,000 in EBITDA, the sellers have been paying themselves 300,000 in W-2 salary, seller discretionary earnings is a million. That million <laughs> is then given what's called a market multiple. Market multiples in the Main Street lending arena are anywhere from three to four X. Uh, sometimes they can be higher or lower. Um, so I'll give you an example of a CPA practice is gonna have a smaller buyer pool because you have to be a CPA. So that's gonna have a lower market multiple. But if it's something very simple to get into, uh, maybe a, a restaurant where all you need is a license, uh, it might have a higher multiple, which is, and then but par for the course, we're seeing multiples sort of fall in that three and a half range. So let's call it three and a half. So three and a half multiple on the million in seller discretionary earnings would result in an enterprise value of roughly 3.5 million. Now you notice I didn't even mention the assets coming over in the purchase or anything like that. That does get considered, but ultimately the lender and the buyer are looking at purchasing a stream of cash flows. That's ultimately what they're buying. The assets that come along for the ride are nice, 
but there are assets that are needed to generate that stream of cash flow. So that that's a really succinct way of doing it. There's always going to be nuances and carve outs. Um, but so when we when we look at it, we're obviously looking at the debt capacity, but we are required by SBA to order a third party appraisal on the business being acquired. And those appraisals, that's typically the main methodology they use. They might have three or four methodologies in the appraisal, but it ultimately gets weighted more heavily on the market multiple being applied to the seller discretionary earnings. Beautiful. So uh, two questions. One, if the assets are worth more than 3.5 times seller discretionary earnings, then it's an asset. Somebody's just buying some trucks, right? I know of a circumstance where uh, one company had $40 million worth of rolling stock and the business was generating multiples of earnings was like a lot less. I don't remember exactly. So, okay, I'm not selling the bit. You get the business, I'll sell you the trucks for $40 million. And then that would be a different, uh, different loan program probably. Yeah, those are, those are a little bit more nuanced and difficult. Um, I mean, ultimately there's gonna be a maximum amount of debt that the business can handle from a SBA term loan point of view. And that's, that's gonna drive, that's gonna be one ceiling. The other ceiling is going to be the appraised value of the business to include all the rolling stock. So there might be a big gap. You might have an appraiser come back and say, look, this business is worth 5 million. And so the maximum loan amount per SBA, 90% would be 4.5 million. But the bank might say, well, that's great and all, but we're running our cash flow analysis. The maximum debt this business can handle is only 4 million. So now there's a million dollar gap between value and uh, leverage. But then you also have the situation where maybe there's an extra million in rolling stock. So you could have a, maybe a $2 million gap in how much debt and the ultimate purchase price of the business. And that's where seller carry and equity comes into play to fill those gaps. Okay. And if I can add there, um, I've, you know, the seller carry bag is a great, I, I don't know if I call it like insurance, but great way to incentivize, you know, if there was misrepresentation or something in those lines when, you know, you're now, now the, the seller really has an incentive to make sure that the business, you know, is successful because otherwise they won't get that, that money back. Right. So, uh, recommending right. and encouraging, um, you know, of, like Cashin was saying, just being thoughtful and not over leveraging the, the balance sheet, but also, um, that seller carry back can add a lot of value to make sure that, you know, in the future, that person is picking up the phone and, you know, you have questions and, and talking to that seller um, if something comes in the future, right? So, uh, and I want to share, now that we're in this topic, I, I wanted to share a, a, a statistic that I, I looked at before coming, uh, joining this. It's like, if you look at companies below 10 million in annual revenue, 47% of these companies are controlled by a founder that is 65 and older, you know? And it's almost half, 50%. So there will be a lot of transition and that's increasing now, right? But there will be a lot of transitioning happening now. Family owned businesses, the son and daughter buying the business from, you know, the founder and uh, SBA is a great product to, to meet that need. And anyway, I just thought it was a big number no, that's, yeah, the big wealth transfer. 
Uh, Keshin, you you said that 90% you used that number, which implies that uh, the uh, buyer is going to have to bring 10% to the table. Yeah. That that was my one of my questions there, mm-hmm. is if you have uh, holdouts on the seller, can that count toward any of that 10% that the buyer would have to bring to the table? It, that that was I heard that somewhere and I was wondering if that's true. Yeah, and I think it's it's better if I sort of step back and walk you through the four types of change of ownership loans you can do because each is going to have a different down payment requirement. And I and I'll go through these quickly, okay. but it'll it'll be a good way to sort of break it down. So one it, it are going to be individuals or an individual uh, looking to buy a business and they're looking to buy 100% of it. So if you've got a contractor client, they're looking to sell and they hire a business broker, that business broker takes it to market. They very well could have competing contractors uh, or, or, or uh, strategic looking to acquire them. Or it could be somebody who's quitting their corporate job. Maybe they have a good background in construction or they work tangentially to the construction industry and they want to buy their own business. So in that situation, it's an individual buying a business, an outsider, there is a 10% down payment minimum requirement that SBA has, okay? I will tell you that, especially when it's a contractor being acquired, that's not gonna do it for most banks. That's a really over-levered contractor, 90% acquisition debt. Uh, We're gonna wanna be talking to somebody who not only can afford SBA's minimum 10%, but has additional dry powder, maybe to bring the leverage down, or, or to just put day one uh, capital on the balance sheet post acquisition. So I encourage people listening to this to not get enamored with, oh, all I need is 10% down. Now, as of starting August 1st, SBA did introduce some nuances to seller debt that can play a role in the, in the 10% down. Um, so here are the rules. Uh, if, if the seller takes a note back and it's on full standby, which means no payments for two years, that seller debt can be counted towards the 10% down payment. So there is a universe that exists where somebody could buy a business with nothing out of pocket through that scenario where the seller uh, puts their debt on full standby for two years and the bank does a 90% loan to value SBA loan. Um, That's probably gonna be few and far between and I would be careful if you're talking to a lender that would allow that. <laughs> um, that's really irresponsible <laughs> lending in my, in my point of view. Uh, you're not gonna be set up to win from a balance sheet point of view. Um, and I doubt you're gonna see lenders, especially in the economy we're in right now, looking to do 100% financing on change of ownership. It's the riskiest lending a bank can do, um, but it's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other rule that they, that they rolled out is if the seller carry is on interest only and the buyer's bringing at least 25% of the required 10% down. So really they just need 2.5% down um, and, and the business can uh, debt service the interest payments on the seller carry note, then yes, you could, you could do ostensibly, you know, 97.2 or 97.5% loan to value uh, with the seller carry. But again, I, I'm not really sure why SBA did that. Um, they have changed their down payment rules on business acquisition several times over the years. It used to be 25% required, then back up to 10%. Then they were silent on it. Uh, right now, we're, I think most lenders are moving into a universe where we're just comfortable with 10 to 
10% down minimum. Um, and we're not really going to mess with that seller carry nuance. So that's a business acquisition. There's also strategic acquisition. That's where an existing contractor is buying another contractor. Uh, and if, if those contractors share the same NIACS code, six digit uh, NIACS code, and they're in the same geographical area, SBA doesn't consider that a business acquisition. They consider it an expansion. And, and in those situations, the down payment rules go out the window. And what instead we're encouraged to do as lenders is look at what the, com the combined, and by the way, I see you taking a lot of notes, Martin. I do have a side-by-side -side guide that breaks all four of these out oh. really clearly uh, to help you because it is complicated. So if it's a strategic acquisition- Well, I'm not gonna explain a lot of this to people. I guarantee yeah. you, I'll put them in touch with yeah, you no guys. Yeah, no problem. But it's for me. <laughs> in, that, in those situations where it's a contractor buying a contractor, we're gonna wanna look at the, the combined pro forma balance sheet and obviously the debt capacity repayment of, of the newly combined entity, just to make sure that it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And if it does, um, then we could possibly do 100% financing. We've done a few of those in a few situations, especially if the buying entity is, is really strong financially. Uh, otherwise, if, yeah. if it looks like on a pro forma basis, it's going to be a little over levered or there's too much debt um, for the business of cash flow, we, we still reserve the right to ask for uh, an equity injection or a down payment. So that's strategic acquisition. Yeah. The third type is called a partner buyout. And this is where there may be two or three or multiple owners. And let's say it's a father son. The son is ready to buy out the father. They own it 50-50 we can do a loan for just the purchase of the father's 50%. And in those situations, if the buyer has had 10% or more ownership in the business for the past 24 months with uh, the same level of activity in the business as a manager, um, then, then, then they can qualify with possibly zero down. But there's also some financial hurdles the SBA layered in, for example, uh, the debt to net worth ratio on the balance sheet historically and on a pro forma basis needs to be below nine to one. Um, and if all those conditions are met, then you can do 0% down. Otherwise, 10, a minimum 10% down payment will be required. I, yeah, I feel like those last two cash in are probably what our audience would be the most interested in. I don't know that a lot of our audience is looking to buy or acquire businesses that are outside of you know, what they're currently doing typically. And there are definitely cases that I can think of where individuals that listen to this podcast would do a buyout with a partner or they would do a strategic acquisition. And I think that a lot of people that are, you know, in our target audience, they think about growth for their company and they're always thinking about, okay, how can I maybe run some ads or hire a salesperson, uh, maybe add a new service that will expand our offering to our customers but growth by acquisition is a really good means if they're doing that strategic acquisition like you talked about. And they may be able to do that in a way, in a fashion that's completely financed by the SBA. Um, yep. So very interesting to hear that, that side of it. When that's exactly what we're seeing in, in our loan pipeline, it's almost, especially for contractors, it's strategics. They, they catch wind that one of their you know, competitors is, is for sale and they're like, oh, this would be a great opportunity to consolidate or there's a partner buyout. That's the majority of our uh, business acquisition pipeline right now. Mm -hmm. But August 1st, SBA is rolling out a brand new change of ownership, which I think is going to be extremely popular. Um, and this is called a partial buyout. This is where a business mm -hmm. can sell a portion of their company, but not all of it. 
So the other, the other three that I mentioned, the seller has to sell 100%. And the seller cannot stay on as an employee. It's a full change of ownership. They can stay on for a year as an independent contractor to help with the transition, but they can't hold a meaningful role. They have to sell 100%. They got to walk away. Partial buyout introduces wow. a new paradigm to SBA lending that's never existed where a seller can sell a portion of their business to a buyer. I'm sorry to interrupt your question. Is this the fourth type? This is the fourth type. So you have, you have business acquisition okay. where individual buying a business, strategic acquisition, like-kind business buying each other, partner buyout, and the fourth is partial buyout. So this is an outsider coming into the business and saying, I want to buy it. So here's where we think this is going to work the most. You've got a contractor, maybe an absentee owner, built it up, up over 20, 30 years, and just has a great general manager or COO that's been sort of running the business for the last 10 years. And they wanna sell to that person because they know that person knows the business the best, is most likely to keep all the employees, understands all the relationships with all the, uh, the prime contractors and all the subs, and they know it's gonna be the least disruptive to their business. The problem is, is that person probably hasn't accumulated, you know, a large enough cash reserve to afford the minimum down payment of 10 or 20% or whatever the, the, the bank might require. In this scenario, a non-owner buying in can maybe buy 20, 30% of the business, and in, some, in, in certain situations with zero out of pocket so long as the financials of the business show that they can absorb it from a leverage and a uh, cash flow point of view. So this way, they sort of get to buy in a little bit, make sure it works well being owner, co-owner. And then after a couple of years, they can come back and, and purchase the remaining uh, percentage ownership through a partner buyout loan. So we... This is the uh, very common. We, we see businesses wanting to sell the key employees all the time, but the key employees just can't afford the 10% down. We're, we're excited to see what this looks like. Uh, one thing that I think sellers will have to get mentally prepared for is they will most likely be asked to be a co-borrower or guarantor on the debt that the buyer is going to use to buy a portion of their business. Um, so we'll see how that plays out mentally in the, in the minds of, of, of sellers. But that's a new program rolling out August 1st. A global uh, question for all of these that I forgot. Personal guarantees required on everything? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Real estate. 20% ownership okay. and more. Personal guarantee included. Yep. Does that include your house? I know people wonder that. Yep. that include a home or is a house yes. exempt? Mm -hmm. It does include a house. Yeah. Okay. The house. Yeah. The rule there, Martin, on homes being pledged to the collateral pool is after the lenders taken all available assets as oh. collateral. So that's going to be a UCC filing on all business assets. Um, if there's still a, a collateral shortfall, which 99% of the time there is on a change of ownership, because again, they're buying a stream of cash flows they're buying goodwill. That's not a tangible asset. SBA and banks consider tangible assets to be real estate, equipment, furnitures and fixtures, AR and inventory, but those are so heavily discounted in our collateral analysis that there's always a gap. So then SBA says, okay, lender, if there's a gap in, in loan amount and collateral, we ask you to pursue additional collateral if it's available. If it's not, that's fine. You don't have to decline the loan, 
but at least look for it. And what they ask us to do is say, hey, look at the buyer's personal financial statement and see if they have 25% or more equity in their home or any rental properties. If they do, and there's a collateral shortfall, we are required to take a second deed of trust on their homes or rentals and, um, and, and it, until the either the collateral shortfall is zero or we've taken all available collateral. But that is something buyers need to be mentally prepared for, uh, that it's you're all in when you do a change of ownership transaction. Personal guarantee, usually putting your home on the line, large cash infusion, uh, there's no really no way of getting around that. Unless you live in Texas, you can't pledge your home uh, towards a business loan if you live in Texas. So they get a special little carve out. Nice. Okay. Thank well, you guys. I want to I want to hear more about the working capital aspect um, and and just how the SBA gets involved uh, from that standpoint and how it changes things for a for a small business. Yeah, I can I can talk a little bit about that, Khalil. Uh, you know, before there's definitely uh, SBA products for working capital, and and we use uh, express uh, uh, lines that can go up to five hundred thousand, and uh, those are primarily to to meet short term needs. And then if you get uh, closer to a million and above, then there's other products you know that are called like cap line, governed by borrowing base, you know receivables, and um, for that. But uh, you know when when Companies start inquiring about working capital uh, need. Uh, you know, we always like to ask uh, a few questions just to kind of understand what what what's the the main reason behind the working capital need, right? So, like, hey, what's your working capital cycle looks like? Um, and uh, especially in this environment, I mean, just the, the the lines of credit just almost doubled within the last eighteen months in interest rate. And and so the cost of capital for um, you know uh, companies really it's been been um, a, a topic. And so that that when we're talking about with clients these days, it's just how can they be more strategic on their payment, right? How they're paying their vendors right now, um, how they're receiving payments, right? And and is there opportunities to maybe save them a day or two, and then so they can at the end of the day I have conversations where. They thought they needed a working capital line, and then when we started working backwards on what are their internal processes, how they invoices, how they're getting paid, and then especially in this day, even if you offer talk to your vendors and say, "Hey, if I pay you with corporate card today, so you get cash today, would you give me a discount, a one percent discount?" And maybe they've done that like 18 months ago, but in this environment. That vendor is going to think about it because now they are tapping into a line that's maybe a high interest rate that they may be willing to take that discount, right? So just that's the really that's the basic when I we have conversations about working capital and you'll be surprised. I mean, one day savings. I mean, you guys know this could make a huge difference in the working capital for a company. Um, so and. Of course, there's, there's a time where like manufacturing companies and companies that really need that working capital line, then the, the SBA is a great product as well. Because uh, like I mentioned, the express line, 500000 And then when you go up on the higher end, it's cap line. Um, it's the other product that it can be used for working capital. 
Cashin, is there anything else that I missed there? You know, I'm sorry, Martin. I just going to say I'm going to take the opportunity again that uh, what you're talking about maybe is inventory turns and day sales mm -hmm. outstanding and uh, getting a discount from your supplier or at least paying them on 30, not paying them on 15 days. You find all that stuff out in your books. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to know how what your day sales outstanding, how long it takes you on average to collect your receivables if you don't have right. good books. That stuff very few people think about. But I did an example for a guy the other day, and if he could reduce his day sales outstanding, in other words, the days it took to collect his receivables, he would free up 54000 This was his business of a certain site. He would free up $54,000 yep. of cash. Hey, what do you mean? I mean, go collect your accounts receivable and, and pay your payables on the term, Don't, unless there's a discount or something. Anyway, sorry. I just plug in no, good I, books. And, and the reason why I'm sharing that, that goes beyond the SBA, because I know you guys, you know, coach your clients and that perspective. So I, I think we take the same approach. I mean, um, you know, we take the consultative approach and kind of understanding, you know, what's the working capital cycle looks like and understanding that. And then we lay out the options. Yes, SBA could be an option. Maybe it's a conventional option. I mean, it doesn't have to be SBA. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, before we get, you know, I, I do want to, I want to say this too, cause Gonzo's on here, but I make this point frequently. Uh, if you have a good banker and your banker is willing to tell you the criteria on which they evaluate you, go find out how they do that hmm. because you have a common interest. The bank wants you to survive and pay them back and you want to survive because it's your business, Right. So you may think they're jerks because you don't understand this or that. Well, go find out. And there was something else I say. If they won't tell you, then find another bank. So, sorry, guys. <laughs> you will tell them. Right? So. Yeah. Yeah. And, all, and, Khalil, and, back and to that, your question. I don't know. Khalil, uh, did I answer your question on working capital uh, space? Yeah, for sure. I, I think so. And I, I think it's, you know, obvious to, to a lot of people um, that they need working capital and that they a lot of times – are not collecting their payments on time or they're having to, to pay things down to get a lot of inventory in, in hand. Um, and I think that it's a no brainer to, to go for the working capital at least. And I think it makes a good point, Martin, that we talk about all the time is really you should be talking to your banker before you need them. Um, you should start the process of having a relationship with the banker and even understanding SBA programs and looking into the future. Because a lot of times when you need these things, yep is not the right time to, to be <laughs> providing your financials no. and you're going to have a worse rate and you're going to be in a time crunch and there's more stress involved and you don't want to have to jump through all the hurdles in, you know, when it's too late, no. you want to be able to have that relationship, understand what opportunities are out there well in advance. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's, and I can add to there too about, is, but. um, you know, especially we were talking about acquisitions, but like, like when you're looking at that acquisition opportunity, like I will be asking your banker, it's like, hey, am I buying a business? Let's say it's a million dollar business today and revenue, 10 employees, right? And then they say, you know what? I'm going to buy this business and I want to keep it to this size. Well, actually in five years or 10 years, I want to take this to a 20 million, $30 million company, right? And just asking your banker, like, hey, what resources do you guys have to help me with that growth because typically, um, you know, they're just so focused on the interest rate today on the transaction. But if they have that clear plan, like, 
man, in five, 10 years, this bank can, man, who knows, can help me. I'm going to need 401ks, the insurance needs. I'm going to need more comprehensive financial institution to help me for that growth. Then those questions should be asked like early in the process, (laughs) right? And um, I don't know, would you agree, Cashin? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Working capital, oh man, there's so many different ways to interpret it. Um, I really like all the tools on your website. That's that's really cool. Because uh, contractor working capital is scrutinized more heavily than other businesses because it's um, it's the lifeblood of the, of, the, of the business. So to Gonda's point, not only do you want to be talking, if you know it's going to be an SBA loan and a bank that's good at SBA lending, you also want to make sure they're a bank that understands contractor lending. Because what you don't want to do is get into a situation where they're like, oh yeah, well, you cash flow, here's your half a million dollar line of credit, good luck. But then you start to grow and your receivables inventory all becomes a lot more complicated and they don't have the acumen to grow with you. Uh, It's gonna be very frustrating because you're gonna have to go sit with a new bank, maybe three banks, retell your story, asking for a larger line, uh, all while you're juggling your business. Uh, So attaching your wagon to the right horse early on if growth is your goal is very important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'd love to, how can people get in touch with you about SBA programs like we've talked about today? Well, I'm in LinkedIn, uh, you know, um, uh, so I'm actively there. Gonzo Garzon, I mean, people can find me there and, um, you know, I also have my um, email, that's ggarzon at bokf.com. Um, and, Look, I, whether they, I always say that whether they need an SBA loan today or they're thinking about it, I'm always happy to just have a conversation. Doesn't matter if it's too early or uh, it's a right now thing. Um, you know, like I said earlier in my conversations, I've always enjoyed hanging out with business owners and entrepreneurs. So that's that's my my deal. Can you list your states again? We have more listeners outside of Oklahoma than in and. Uh... I mean, you mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned 10, Cashin, uh, but you said some of them. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's, it, we're in Texas, we're at uh, uh, Colorado, uh, Oklahoma, that's our headquarters. Um, we have New Mexico. Um, um, help me out, Cashin, I'm going Arizona. Yeah, Arizona. Arizona and Kansas City. Yeah. Are our main hubs. We also have offices in Arkansas. Yep. That's where our uh, production, commercial, and co- corporate bankers sit. The ten-state footprint. We have other services like wealth management, um, some of our securities units. But for the core banking that would fit your demographic, it's going to be yeah, the Texas, Oklahoma, Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, Kansas City. Okay. Okay. Excellent. And uh, Cashin, how can people get in touch with you? Through Gonzo. <laughs> so yeah, we, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Dude, we're Gonzo. very fortunate that we have awesome bankers. Uh, we don't like to parcel out our SBA lending. So you get to work with a really good banker and I'm behind the scenes making sure everyone follows the rules. I spend most of my time uh, on, from SBA point of view, reaching out to individuals like yourselves to help educate the business community on how SBA works, uh, breaking down some of the myths. Uh, but as far as the core banking goes, you get to deal with uh, people like Gonzo. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll put your contact information, Gonzo, in the show notes. 
we really appreciate your time and the education that you're bringing to our audience. Uh, and we hope that people will get in touch with you about the SBA and, and other banking needs as well. So yeah, thank you both for your time today. Thank you guys. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.